Okay, well, welcome to Prophecy Night. It is our 24th installment. And uh, as always, I want to start with a couple of uh, funny cartoons. This one's uh, I thought was cute. Uh, you know, when he's the devil, you scare me to death, but you throw a lab coat on him and call him a doctor, and all of a sudden, oh, I trust everything you say. You know, Isn't that true? There's some truth in that, isn't there? And then this one is, uh, it's been a while since I've uh, picked on cats, so this one's not so much picking on cats as it is a cat cartoon or a cat comic. Someone actually sent this to me in the mail, like cut it out of their paper and sent it to me. And I thought it was hilarious. It's this UFO, and it says, come on, guys, we're wasting the laser beam battery. You know how you can get cats to follow the laser beam? So maybe that explains a lot of these orbs that we're seeing and these uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Maybe it's really just, uh, you know, demons or Nephilim or somebody playing with cats. Never know. All right, so we are uh, talking about how the stage is being set, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. Boy, does it. Um, I'm going to talk about some late-breaking stuff tonight. Um, but so far, I we've talked about how the stage is being set prophetically. We spent a few weeks on that. Geologically, spent one week on that. Atmospherically, spent a week on that. Then we got into economically. Remember that? We talked about just the co pending collapse of the impending collapse of the American economy and all of that. The, CBDCs and so forth. Then we talked about how the stage is being set ecclesiastically with apostasy and people departing from the word. We looked at the stage being set demonically. Then psychologically was number seven. And then we looked at genetically. We talked about um, chimeras and a lot of the stuff that they're doing playing with the, the uh, DNA. And then we uh, looked at some pretty heavy topic, setting the stage satanically, and looked at just some really bad people out there that are outwardly, openly worshiping Satan. And then uh, the last three weeks or so, we've been talking about setting the stage geopolitically. So all of these uh, videos are available at notbyworks.org, or you can listen to the podcast audio version of them wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Not By Works Ministries. Um, but geopolitical signs of the times. We started out by looking at the decline of America and how that's you know going to change the geopolitical face of things. And clearly, there's no shortage of indication that America is on the decline. Last week, we looked at the rise in anti-Semitism. And then uh, tonight, I want us to focus on the growing number of world organizations. And as I really started digging into this, I was surprised how many globalist organizations there are that have world in the name, and especially ever since World War II, but even in recent uh, year. So I want to start by reviewing some general passages of Scripture before we get into the rise in world organizations, uh, because it's been a while since we've looked at some of these. Uh, so for some context, remember John the Apostle said, little children, it is the last hour. The last hour means the present age. Um, we often talk about how we feel we're living in the last of the last days, and I think we are, but that's speculative. The last hour or the last days is referring to the church age. And John says, in light of that, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. This present age is an evil age, as Paul calls it in Galatians 1.4. It's also uh, 
one which John later on in chapter 5 of his first epistle says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. And uh, that's one of the defining characteristics of this present age. So it really is is stunning to me that so many Bible teachers are out there suggesting that things are going to get better and better, that we can reconstruct the world and usher in a kingdom age if we'll just elect enough Christians or enforce the moral law. Um, that's completely contrary to the plain teaching of Scripture that says uh, there are many antichrists running about uh, trying to prepare the way for Satan's future man of the hour, the Antichrist. Uh, he says in chapter 4, the theme verse or the basis for my two-volume set, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So same, same idea as he said in chapter 2. There are many Antichrists out there, little a, but also the spirit of the future Antichrist is already at work in the world. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul speaks about the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he even sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And uh, that's the future Antichrist. Uh, he goes on to say that now you know what is restraining, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through the church, that he may be revealed in his own time. That, in other words, the time isn't right yet for the Antichrist, capital A, to be unveiled. Uh, there's a restraining influence of the presence of the church. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's just another way of saying the spirit of the Antichrist. The mystery of lawlessness. Mystery meaning something previously unforetold. Um, talked about that uh, this week. Uh, yeah, yesterday. It's been a long week already. Yesterday with... Uh, Lucas Doremus, we talked about the, the enigmatic parables of the kingdom and what the word mystery means, because Matthew 13 calls those the mysteries of the kingdom. Well, the mystery is just new information, something that had not previously been disclosed. And what this is talking about here, the new information, is the fact that in this present age, lawlessness is going to get worse and worse and worse. Nowhere does the Old Testament predict an age in which Satan essentially takes over and it's climaxed with him indwelling a single human being to rule the world as a tyrant. That's not really uh, predicted, per se, because the church age was never predicted in the Old Testament. Now, it does talk about the Antichrist, obviously, in the Old Testament, quite frequently, but that's in the context of the final revived Roman Empire, as Daniel uh, talks about, and uh, him ruling the world until Christ comes back and, and crushes him, like that rock not made with hands crushing the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. But notice Paul goes on to say, so this mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and now he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's capitalized there because it's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he's taken out of the way in the sense of his influence and his purpose and ministry in and through the church. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's God. He There's not any, no place he cannot be, so it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. You'll still hear Bible teachers, uh, well-intentioned though they may be, uh, talk about it in that language. They'll say, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to be removed from the earth. Well, that's impossible if you understand your theology and you understand theology proper, the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the attributes of the Godhead apply equally to all the 
persons of the Godhead. So the Holy Spirit, as God, is omnipresent. He cannot be gone from anywhere. He's everywhere present at all times. But what Paul is saying here in context is that the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in and through the church will be removed someday. And when he does, that's when the man of sin uh, will uh, show himself. And in fact, as he goes on to say, then, after the restraining influence of the church is removed, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And going back to 1 John, John tells us in that first verse of the fourth chapter there, where he's already said the spirit of the Antichrist is at work, just before that he says, Do not believe every spirit, but brethren, test the spirits, whether they are God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus himself said, False Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Then he goes on to say, uh, or the book of Revelation goes on to say, that another beast, this is talking about the false prophet here. I've been studying a lot about that recently and, and working on my next book, The Spirit of the False Prophet. Uh, he's going to be the sidekick or the second in command during that seven years of satanic tyranny. And uh, this beast is going to come up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And then uh, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Again, this is the false prophet working in tandem with the Antichrist. By those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So the, during that seven-year period in the second half, the false prophet is going to preside over utter tyranny, controlling commerce, controlling travel, controlling every aspect of human life through the mark of the beast. And he's going to set up these images uh, that represent the Antichrist and cause people to bow down and worship the image. Sound familiar? The pagan satanic uh, kingdom leaders and, and empire leaders have done that going all the way back to the ancient Near East. Nebuchadnezzar did it. So I just wanted to kind of review that just because it's been a while since we've looked at those verses. But now, uh, we're going to talk about the growing number of world organizations as a sign of the times uh, geopolitically that we are getting closer and closer to this one world system where Satan will uh, rule through the Antichrist. But before we get to that, real quickly, I want to review God's uh, divine design for human government throughout history according to the Bible. We talked about this, I think it was part four or five fairly early on in this series. Uh, and so I won't go through all of it, but I do want to just kind of make sure we see human history in, in, in perspective. So, of course, it started in the garden with the creation of mankind, and that was a globalist system. There were no nation states. It was just God and mankind. Before the fall, that was Adam and Eve. Uh, and they walked and talked with God. They interacted with him. They were accountable directly to him. It was a globalist uh, system. And then later on in Genesis 11, we see things begin to change. In fact, Genesis 11 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Again, you know, this is some 1,700 years after creation. It still is one language, one speech. It's a one-world system. But something happened. Uh, 
they rebelled, uh, and, uh, and this is even after the flood, remember. This is after the, they've come back from the flood, they've populated the earth again, now they're rebelling again. It only took a couple hundred years after the floodwaters receded for mankind once again to rebel against a holy God with the Tower of Babel. And um, so they were going to build this uh, big you know, tower. The reason for that, as I've talked about before, was they were determined not to let God destroy them through a flood like he did last time. So we'll show God. We, we, know, we know his game now. We know what he's going to do. So we're going to build this tower so if he gets mad at us and, and tries to, you know, destroy us, we'll rise above the floodwaters. But anyway, that's when God said, I'm going to move down and institute nationalism, the next phase of God's human government um, that is still in force to this day. So we had, you know, 1,700-ish years of, you know, a globalist world. We're now going on, what, 4,300 years of nationalism. And uh, so God said, in, uh, this is roughly 100 years after the flood, call it 2242 B.C. Uh, the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they will begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld with them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, that they may not understand one's speech. So the Lord God scattered them abroad over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. That's why they called that name of that city. Babel, the precursor to Babylon, ancient Babylon, basically. Um, so we see the onset of nationalism. But what we're going to see when uh, the end of the age comes is a return once again to globalism. And this return to globalism is going to occur in two phases, two stages. First, there will be satanic globalism. Old and New Testament alike paint this picture of a revived Roman Empire, the fourth beast in Daniel's dream that he had, uh, which will be a fourth kingdom on the earth. It's not a fifth kingdom. This isn't a new kingdom. This is Rome, but it's just Ro Rome revived, coming out of the ashes. Uh, and this kingdom is going to be different from all the other kingdoms. Uh, and uh, they shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. And uh, Revelation says, the dragon gave the beast, the Antichrist, his power and his authority. Uh, and he's going to rule the world in, in tyranny. All authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Again, this is satanic globalism. Uh, David talks about this in Psalm 2, uh, that famous psalm that really exposes the Luciferian conspiracy that I talk so much about. When he said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds. There's the Trinity, the Godhead. Let's break the divine bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Again, this is satanic globalism. But David goes on to talk about how after that you know, period of satanic globalism, the last seven years of which will be led by the Antichrist himself, uh, Christ is going to come back. And this is why David writes that uh, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord, Yahweh, shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. When he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Who's that? Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. 
And so he's, he's speaking of it as if it's already done, even though he hasn't taken that throne today. He's not on the Davidic throne today in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, ruling the world with a rod of iron. Nevertheless, from God's perspective, it's as good as done. So this is what we call a prolepsis. It's speaking proleptically that this is something that hasn't actually happened yet, but it's as good as done. And so God laughs at them because he knows that, that the, the guy, his plan of the ages is going to come full circle back to divine globalism as everything sort of comes up again back to the pre-fall Edenic state. And that's why Revelation tells us, and Peter as well, that he's going to destroy this old sin-stricken earth, the heavens and the earth, and recreate them in sinless perfection. And then at that point, time shall be no more. Um, in uh, one of only two psalms that are attributed to Solomon here, Psalm 72, uh, Solomon speaks about his reign. Solomon was king of Israel, but he anticipates the rule of his ultimate successor, Jesus Christ, in the future global kingdom of peace, righteousness, and justice. He says, blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Isaiah talked about the child who was born, the Christ child, one day the government will be upon his shoulder. And one day of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Going back to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream, in the days of these kings, same as the fourth beast that uh, Daniel, that, uh, Daniel himself envisioned in chapter 7, the days of those kings, you know, the, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Grecians, the Romans, and so forth, God, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever and ever. So divine globalism. So again, we see in God's you know, roadmap of human history that he's revealed to us, starts with globalism. We're now living in a time of nationalism, but it will return to globalism in two phases, first satanically and ultimately um, God himself will once again rule the world in the person and work of his son. So are we seeing the stage being set for this return to globalism? That's the question for tonight. And I'm going to give you several examples. Some of these are, you know, we've talked about before. Uh, but to indicate that all systems seem to be pointing towards a one-world arrangement, one world. So obviously, we'll start with the World Economic Forum. It's the biggest and most powerful of the many globalist organizations that influence world events. That's not just me saying that. I actually did some research today, and, and uh, there are several uh, articles and uh, journals and uh, online uh, newspapers and things that, that if you just Google, what are the top 10 world globalist organizations? They all put World Economic Forum right at the top. Uh, I talk about this in Chapter 2 of Volume 2 of Spirit of the Antichrist. If you don't yet have a copy, feel free to pick one up off the table in the lobby, or if you're watching online, you can go to our website, spiritofantichrist.org, and learn more about it. But I have a whole chapter focused on the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. We've talked a lot about him in other contexts, so I won't uh, go back and rehash that. But the World Economic Forum is openly, unashamedly seeking to reset the world under a global government. Uh, 
I call this the Luciferian endgame. Um, and, uh, of course, they're using COVID and the pandemic and the future pandemic that is coming. If you're not prepared for that, you need to pay attention because it's coming probably very soon, uh, probably in the winter, but we don't know. Uh, certainly the first one, as devastating as it was, was a dry run. Uh, it's beyond uh, question any longer that it was a engineered, manufactured virus. It was real, and people really died from it, and it really knocked you out. I had it. I had it, but most of you probably did too, and it was horrible. Uh, but it was not organic, and it certainly didn't come from a bunch of bananas in China, monkey scrambles or something, whatever the early version of the narrative was. It's changed a thousand times. But uh, no, we know it was, you know, from Fort Detrick, it was a weaponized virus and so forth. Uh, but it wasn't about the virus. It was about the vaccine, uh, the gene-altering bioinjections, uh, which, you know, we're seeing more and more people uh, really suffer severely from that. Another young, perfectly healthy, top of the world athlete today, 18 years old, dropped dead, or didn't drop dead. He had a heart attack on him college basketball court at USC, so happening almost daily now. Uh, so they're using that as a pretext, a reason, an impetus to get people together under one uh, world. We'll talk more about World Health Organization in a moment. Uh, of course, Klaus Schwab, this wasn't new with the pandemic. He's been writing about this for years. This is his 2013 book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which, you know, 10 years ago now, and you know, seven years before the pandemic, he was saying that the fourth IR is going to affect the very essence of our human experience. Why? Well, because for 4,000 plus years, we've been living in a nationalist world with nation states and national sovereignty, different forms of national government, some of them more tyrannical, communism, Nazism, socialism, that kind of thing. Some of them democratic, uh, some of them uh, republics like ours, um, but it's going to be a pretty major shift when the globalists at the behest of Satan get their way and they, you know, usher in this new techno-tyranny uh, that he uh, that he talks about there. Uh, his book that came out last year, uh, which I talk quite a bit about in, in Spirit of the Antichrist Volume 2, was called The Great Narrative for a Better Future. Notice how, in a strange sort of irony, all of the one-worlders and the globalists are looking to the future. They're looking forward. They're talking about what's to come, what lies ahead, what their vision of the future is. And similarly, God's people ought to be, sadly many aren't, ought to be looking through the lens of Scripture at what's to come and what lies ahead and the things that are coming from God's prophetic plan. So this is everything kind of converging together towards something in the future. Again, it's first this satanic globalism, ultimately divine globalism. Uh, I picked just a few quotes here uh, that we've shown before, but just to kind of carry on this theme of, of the forward-looking nature of the globalists. Uh, Schwab says, the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. That's from the great narrative. He said, dramatic changes in our economies and societies, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. That govern them. That's what's going to be required in this new 
what they view as utopian from their perspective society, but from our perspective, a dystopian society. Everything's going to change drastically. Uh, talks about cryptocurrencies. Uh, could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? See, they hate the U.S. dollar. Why? Because it's tied to nationalism. It's tied to one nation state. And uh, even though it's has been ever since Bretton Woods, the, the basis for the global economic system, uh, it still sort of uh, speaks of nationalism, and they want to do away with that. So they're openly talking about the demise of the U.S. dollar. Um, the fundamental issue of how our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness challenges our beliefs, morals, religions, and politics at their very and we are ill-prepared for that. I mean, they're just telegraphing us what's going to come. So the World Economic Forum uh, really is at the tip of the spear with all of these other uh, organizations that either are tangentially related to the World Economic Forum or fiscally related, somehow literally tied and joined at the hip. Um, so, But let's go back to a few decades to World War II and another... Uh, world organization, and that, of course, is the United Nations. The United Nations. Now, they tried to usher in a one-world system after World War One. Remember, I've talked a lot about how, you know, in America in particular, which has really been the seat of the Luciferian conspiracy for many, many years, since, you know, America was founded, honestly. Um, but we won't take the time to rehash that particularly in the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s, that's when they got serious about trying to destroy this country and to pave the way for the one world system or the new world order, as they called it from the beginning. That's why they called it the new world. Uh, and so they put in place a lot of things, you know, like Federal Reserve, the income tax. They took over medicine. They took over education. They took over uh, Hollywood and the media, of course, things like that. And so when World War I, when they started that, which it did not start organically, none of the wars did. They were all provocateur, every one of them. There's a false flag connection to every one of the wars. Uh, they, they brought it about, and they thought, okay, great. We finally accomplished our goal. Let's establish the League of Nations. But God wasn't ready for the formal start of the end times. Remember, the end times is not the same as the last days. The last days is the present age. The end times start with the rapture and everything that's unfulfilled prophecy in Scripture takes place after that. And it wasn't God's time yet, so it didn't happen. So, you know, here we are 30 years later in World War II. At the end of World War II, this is from the U.N. website. Nations were in ruins, and the world wanted peace. Representatives of 50 countries gathered at the United Nations Conference on International Organization in San Francisco. By the way, uh, interesting connection between the, the U.N., conference that founded the UN on April 25th and 26th, 1945, and Bohemian Grove. Uh, Bohemian Grove started in Muir Woods, uh, out, just outside of San Francisco. There's a plaque there. We've been there and visited. I took a picture of the historical marker, and that historical marker talks about how during this two-day conference, a lot of the world leaders made a side trip to Bohemian Grove from this UN conference. So there's a there's a connection. I don't remember all the details, but you could look that up. Uh, but uh, th actually, they met for two months 
uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I said for April 25th to 26th. That makes more sense. It was April 25th to June 26th. My, my fault. So they took a side trip over to Muir Woods and, and, and the original founding place of Bohemian Grove. But anyway, for two months, they proceeded to draft and then sign the UN Charter, which created a new international organization, the United Nations, which it was hoped would prevent another world war like the one they had just lived through. So that's from their own website. Now, there are a lot of offshoots and related subsidiaries of the UN, such as the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, and the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, uh, which I talk about when I diagram in Volume 1 of Spirit of the Antichrist, when I diagram out the Luciferian conspiracy, they're all there at the, you know, the, the second, actually the bottom level as government organizations. Anything with United Nations in the name, you ought to be terribly, you know, resistant to. Uh, you see these commercials from UNICEF and UNESCO. Oh, these are great benevolent, you know, organizations. And they're out there helping the children and saving the whales and whatever. If it's tied to the UN, it is Luciferian controlled, and you need to not support it. Uh, if you've given money in the past to UNESCO because you fell prey to one of those TV commercials, call them up when you get home tomorrow and ask for a refund because it was not wise. You don't want to do anything to support any of these initiatives of um the United Nations. It's never about what it's about. They're a front for advancing the satanic agenda. That's what they're for. Um, so, United Nations. Uh, and then we've got another one, the World Health Organization. World Health Organization. Now, that's been in the news a lot lately as they're preparing the way. In fact, just I think in the last couple of days, Biden signed a new piece of uh, directive uh, in which uh, He's going to create a new position of someone who is permanently in place in our bureaucracy to manage pandemics, you know, as if to say, we know a bunch of pandemics are going to keep coming down the pike, so we're going to put, the, we need someone to handle it, um, which, you know, that's always a great idea. If you have a problem, just throw more money at it and put the government in charge of it. That seems to work out really well. But um, the World Health Organization, of course, is putting... Uh, is really acting hand in puppet with the United Nations as you know a sort of a police state, rolling out a police state and demanding that all these countries sign on to their new regulations, so that the next time there's a pandemic, they won't have to use executive orders and rely on governors and franchised tyranny. They can just say, "Hey, you're part of the World Health Organization. You agreed to this. Now we're in charge. We're the ones calling the shots. We're telling you how you're going to respond." Uh, so it's it's definitely uh, getting more teeth than it has had in the past. And you can tell even from their logo, this is their logo, and this is the United Nations logo, how closely connected the two organizations are. Uh, and then we've got the World Trade Organization. Notice how many times world is in the name. This is just developed in 1995 in Geneva, Switzerland, um, the World Trade Organization. Again, paving the way for a centralized form of world government. Um, you, know, you had NAFTA, you had all these other regional types of agreements, which is just a way of making the world seem smaller. And in, in fact, in many ways, ever since the World Trade Organization formally began, January 1st, 1995, 
we've been de facto living in a one-world government economically already. I mean, it's it's not formal and on paper, but it essentially is is just waiting for the right moment for them to collapse what remains of national sovereignty in places primarily like America, and uh, then we'll all come running to the one-world system. Uh, another uh, economically related world organization is the International Monetary Fund, headquartered in Washington, D.C. Uh, this one was established after World War II, uh, and it's still, you know, right there in D.C., uh, calling the shots and uh, conveniently positioned for when they roll out the global digital uh, currency at the, at the main center of economic power, which is the United States. And then you've got the World Bank. Um, it's also headquartered in Washington, D.C. It also started right after World War II. So again, the U.N., even despite what they said, oh, we you know, we got these 50 nations together and we want to just pre prevent another war so that we'll never have another war and we'll always be in peace. That was never what it was about. It was about control and power. And so at the same time that the U.N. is being established, you had Bank, the IMF, and all these other institutions starting. The World Bank actually started before uh, the IMF. And then even more recently, we see the BRICS nations. Uh, I've talked about that a lot on, on my podcast uh, with Randy. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, know BRICS is an acronym that stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And those five nations have long been in an alliance economically. They have the New Development Bank, the NDB, the New Development Bank is their, you know, their bank of choice. And they just recently announced that they're going to roll out a new gold-backed currency. And last I heard, 41 other nations are clamoring to jump into the game and become a part of that new world economic system. So there are a lot of things that may seem isolated, but in reality, they're by design. They're chipping away and, and marching us rapidly toward a one-world system. Now, I believe the uh, the next thing that's going to happen that will put this over the edge, and it remains to be seen whether we'll st we're still here when that happens. Because remember, the rapture could happen at any moment. It's imminent, uh, meaning it could happen at any time. And so you know, when the Lord's ready, in the blink of an eye, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But if the Lord's timetable means the rapture doesn't happen for a while, then we could very well be alive when this next unfreezing event happens. And I think what it's going to be is some type of scenario that brings down America. That's the first domino to fall. If they get America out of the way, it's a piece of cake to get every other nation uh, to fall in line and sign on to the New World Order. So... They have multiple weapons in their uh, arsenal. They could use an economic crash. I'm sure that'll be part of it somehow. They could also use another pandemic of some kind, some type of natural disaster, one that was either natural or engineered, which they can do. Uh, they could use some kind of false flag, some kind of terrorist attack, some kind of war attack from an enemy nation. But whatever it is, you'll know it when it happens. And when it happens, uh, everyone will go clamoring to uh, our leaders to save us, you know, to save us from this boogeyman. And the leaders who have been in on it all along will happily cede their national sovereignty to this new entity 
uh, in exchange for protection and food and helping rebuild after the devastation of whatever it is that happens. So, I mean, obviously I could be wrong on that, that America might be still, you know, standing when the rapture happens. Uh, we, we don't know. Uh, but certainly, uh, if it is, the rapture itself will create quite a bit of strain on America because notwithstanding our depravity and how, you know, how bad things have gotten in America, we still have quite a large number of believers who, who will then be gone. Uh, and it's that restraining influence that I talked about a moment ago that will disappear. So these are some of the world organizations. There are others um, that are not necessarily as well known, and they might not have world in the name. Uh, but to show you how brazen they have gotten, they now have a world government summit that meets every year in Dubai. It's been meeting for 10 years. In fact, uh, this is a promotional video. It's about 2 minutes and 25 seconds from the World Government Summit website, worldgovernmentsummit.org. I want you to listen carefully to these clips of world leaders that have spoken at or attended the World Government Summit. Uh, the next one, by the way, is in February. Uh, but listen to this uh, little, this is their promotional video uh, about the World Government Summit. In a fragmented world, to come together, to reflect about the future, to see the new developments is absolutely essential. The Ministry of the Ministry of والمسارات اللي تم العمل بيها اللي نجح منها هو نجح ويتقال واللي ما نجحش يتقال برضه عشان نتعلم منها. The UAE has always been at the forefront of innovation and progress. And this summit serves as a testament to the country's unwavering commitment to promoting global cooperation. Over the past decade, you have established a global platform to help shape future governments. You have brought together thinkers and decision makers from around the world to explore solutions to the challenges of today and tomorrow. Governance Summit ini akan menghasilkan banyak pemikiran, agenda aksi dan inovasi dalam penyelesaian. I wish to applaud the vision to bring the worlds together through this formal platform to shape the future of governments. Dünya hükümet zirvesinin insanlık için hayırlara vesile olmasını diliyorum. Gerek zirvenin, gerekse zirve sırasında yapılacak istişarelerin we need each other, and therefore we have to figure out how we work together in a world that is multipolar. Do you agree? Can we stay together as a world? Did you notice the number of times that they talked about, you know, 
or a number of times that all these other organizations we just talked about were mentioned. IMF, UN, which is World Economic Forum, it started out with Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab is like the poster child for one worldism today. This is a promotional video for the World Government Summit, and who's kicks who's their leading you know uh, actor right on the first opening credits of this little uh, presentation? Klaus Schwab himself. But they're all talking about changing the future of government and how are we going to do that? And it's 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 a key. Uh, a, a key piece of the puzzle, uh, and that's where a lot of the decisions are made. The next one is in uh, uh, February 12th through 14th of 2024, and listen to from their website how they describe this coming summit, 2024. Keeping in mind, by the way, what I've talked about in my chapter called uh, the Luciferian Timetable and Agenda 2030, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, and the key year of 2025 that comes up again and again. So at their next summit, it says the World Government Summit 2024 will be held under the theme of shaping future governments. So other themes have been, you know, economic sustainability, fighting climate change, th you know, this and that. This one is just in your face, shaping future governments. That's the theme of the 2024 World Government Summit. The summit will bring together governments, international organizations, thought leaders, and private sector leaders from around the globe to promote international cooperation and enable governments to identify innovative solutions for future challenges to inspire and enable the next generation of government. End quote. This is what they're, this is what they're doing. So another, uh, uh, grow, another in this growing number of world organizations that just... Uh, went live yesterday, maybe you saw some of the news about this, is WorldCoin. Uh, the uh, founder of OpenAI, which is the one who does ChatGPT, Sam Altman, launched WorldCoin Crypto yesterday, July 24th, 2023. And it is creepy if you go to their website. Uh, if I was more technologically adept, I would have found a way to actually show the live website here. But th this uh, just went live. It's called for, for Every Human, and it shows a globe circling with every place that someone signs up for this new world coin, as it's called. And I meant to check right before we went on, but as of about three hours ago, it changes by the minute, there were 2,073,053 humans on world coin. Uh, and there are, I'm going to say more about the orb, which is the way you get signed up for this. Uh, there's some 2,000 locations where you can go to the orb and look into it to get your retina scan and become part of this. Uh, but there were 34 different countries uh, where orb verifications have happened and uh, 120 countries with verified World ID users. So there's a connection between the World Porn and the World ID and the World App. I'm going to explain that now. But here's Sam Altman. On your left, Alexa Belania, which is the CEO of WorldCoin. Uh, and Alex, uh, not Alexa, Alex Belania has warned that a global digital ID system will be ushered in for citizens around the world, whether they like it or not, quote unquote. WorldCoin has developed a system that it pitches as the world's largest identity and financial public network. Essentially, the company's created a database that links digital cash. CBDCs, and a digital identity system. We've been telling you this was coming for 
almost over a year now. Uh, we meaning Not My Works Ministries and some of the different presentations that we've done. The company has created its own form of digital money called the WorldCoin token, WLD. World ID is a digital identity system that collects biometric data for individuals and holds it in a database that then links it to WorldCoin transactions. So WorldCoin and World ID are connected and accessed via the company's World app. Talking about the growing number of world organizations. And this that just launched yesterday has World in three of their instrumental aspects of what they're doing. The WorldCoin, which is only accessed if you have the World ID, and you access it using the World app. Uh, currently, those who voluntarily surrender their biometric data receive small sums in, Woodcoin, uh, in WorldCoin's tokens in return for signing up for the World ID scheme. What have we been saying is going to happen? They're going to entice people with incentives to be an early adopter and jump on this system. Now, this is private, by the way. This isn't some, you know, at least officially globalist, you know, top-down thing that they're enforcing on people. But it's... It's uh, it's exactly what we've been predicting. It's going to be a ground-up type thing, and it's already growing in just you know the last day. Of course, they've been working on it for three years, and there were opportunities to kind of sign up in advance of it going live. It just went live yesterday, but still already over 2 million people, and it's just going to grow exponentially. And then all that needs to happen next is for some government entity, like the Antichrist, for example, to take it over and take charge of it. It's the system that matters. Um, so... Uh, they get incentivized to sign up early. WorldCoin is co-founded by Sam Altman, as I said, the head of OpenAI, uh, the company behind ChatGPT. According to WorldCoin's executive, WorldID, or something like it, will soon be mandatory for anyone who wishes to partake in regular society. WorldID uses iris scanners that require a person to have their eyes scanned to prove their identity. While that idea may sound like a dystopian nightmare that would never catch on, people in several southern European countries like Spain and Portugal are itching to give away their biometrics as proof of identity and get the right to this cryptocurrency transfer wallet. The sign-up process involves exposing your eyes to what is known as WorldCoin's orb iris scanners. I, I uh, resisting the urge to make the connection between all the orbs that we're seeing in the paranormal upsurge and their choice of an orb uh, to capture your retina. Who knows? But uh, in Spain, where the, the scheme first became available a year ago, uh, 150,000 participants have signed up. Uh, plans are already in place to install additional orb scanners in Barcelona with more cities to follow. Portugal's not far behind with 120,000 participants. Uh, Germany is said to be warming up to the project ever since it uh, started. And as I mentioned, in all, 2 million biometric credentials are now operated by WorldCoin. Uh, Leo Homan uh, wrote an article about this, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago. I'm going to have him back on the Not My Works podcast on August 3rd. Really looking forward to having him back on. Uh, brilliant guy when it comes to this kind of stuff. He's an award-winning journalist and, and investigative journalist. Um, I always have to give the caveat because otherwise people are going to email me. Yes, I'm aware he's not pre-trib in his theology. That's okay. You know, you can get to heaven without being pre-trib. I don't know if you realize that or not. I think it's wrong. I, I disagree with him on that, and I passionately understand Scripture to teach 
a pre-tribulational rapture, but if we're going to study and be equipped and prepared for what's happening in this world, we might need to read some people that don't agree with us on every jot and tittle of God's Word. So I really respect Leo, and uh, you know, I've told him, you know, look, if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, that's fine. I'll explain it to you on the way up. But uh, anyway, uh, he wrote, quote, three years ago in July 2020, the website Emerging Europe reported on the trend toward iris scans as the payment system of the future. Now the future is here, and WorldCoin is not the only outfit playing in this space. A Polish firm called PayEye, P-A-Y-I-E-Y-E, is also involved among others. And so here's the quote from Alex Blania, the CEO of WorldCoin. Something like World ID will eventually exist, meaning that you will need to verify you are human on the Internet, whether you like it or not. I think that's certainly going to happen with the progress in AI, and it's probably going to happen in the next couple of years. This is 23. See if I can do the math. 23, 24, 25. 2025. What have we said about 2025? Seems to be a pivotal year. Time will tell. Uh, here's an article by Jeff Wilzer. This is also from yesterday. And uh, you can see there in the screen one of the orbs that you look into to get your iris scanned. Uh, the sign-up process involves exposing your eyeballs to what's known as WorldCoin's orb iris scanners. Um, uh, in an interview with Alex Blania, uh, the Coindesk.com writes, quote, to do this, they have invented a physical device called the orb that can scan your eyeball. The goal is for the orb to eventually scan every eyeball of every human who walks the earth. They claim already to have 1.8 million signups. I saw that it was 2 million as of right before this afternoon. But their ultimate goal is 8 billion. The orb is about the size of a bowling ball. It's chrome and shiny and smooth. Uh, this author actually went, uh, what, what did I say his name was? Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Wilzer went, and he said, uh, I'm instructed to move closer and stare into a black circle, like how you peer into a machine at the optometrist's. The orb then uses a system of infrared cameras, sensors, and AI-powered neural networks to scan my iris and verify that, yes, in fact, I am a human being. And he said, I'm hardly the first to do this. There are now 2 million humans uh, that are doing it. So there you go, world coin. Just going to see more and more world organizations, world apps, world systems to try to suck us in. And as I described recently on a podcast, I forget which one it was, but I use the illustration of, uh, of when you put out your Christmas lights in your yard and, you know, you put some over here on this bush, maybe some in a tree, some down the sidewalk, and you're kind of testing them as you go, making sure there's no you know, missing light in the string or that it's actually working. And, and then eventually you get them all positioned where you want and you plug them all in to one place where you've got a timer or a, or a power strip or something where you can turn them on and they all come on at once. Right now what we're seeing is these sort of decentralized, you know, localized systems in a variety of applications being rolled out. And it's happening at warp speed. I mean, it really is. It really is happening fast. I've got Shane on Friday, our technologist, that's going to talk about an update on AI. And we're calling it the snowballing, I think it's the snowballing nature of artificial intelligence. It's just happening unbelievably fast. But I believe... When the time comes, most likely in connection with the fall of America, they're going to 
plug them all in and connect them all. As I said, WorldCoin may be marketing itself as an independent from the government, safe thing, kind of like, uh, uh, what was the big crypto? Uh, Bitcoin, yeah, thank you. Bitcoin and others. And I've, I've been warning against those all along. Uh, they may claim to be protected and private and so forth, and maybe they are at the moment, but anything digital is hackable. And uh, remember what Yuval Noah Harari said, we're all just hackable human beings. So hacking things is their expertise. So I, I think it won't be a problem for them to connect all of these systems. So uh, we'll stop there and move into our Q&A before we do that. So this is still setting the stage geopolitically. I've got s some additional things that I want to talk about in the weeks to come under this heading of geopolitically. But let me highlight a few of the podcasts. Uh, God's really opened some incredible doors with our ministry. We're doing a lot of uh, different uh, podcasts and um, interviews with people both ways. Either I'm on their show or they're on mine. Uh, I'll be on Stand Up for the Truth with Mary Danielson on Thursday. Looking forward to that. But here's just some recent content. If you don't get our newsletter, please sign up for it. You can go to notbyworks.org right there on the homepage. Enter your email address and sign up. Uh, and we send out a couple of emails a week. Uh, sometimes more than that if there's a lot going on, but generally one or two a week. Uh, so we've got two recent uh, Q&A podcasts, something new that we started. Uh, so volume or episode two and episode three have both dropped. Episode three just dropped yesterday. When you send in your questions, we flag them in a folder. And then uh, as I have time, I take it 45 minutes to an hour, just sit down and, and without any preparation, just work through the questions. Saves me a ton of time in having to respond to each individual email. And then that usually solicits another response. First thing you know, I'm in a dialogue. So we're just giving you these answers. And so if you've sent in a question, we've got quite a bit in the queue. Just be patient. We will get to them as we work through them. And then just this morning, I posted a brand new article called The Hero of Bible Prophecy. All of my devotionals are short, easy to read, uh, and uh, this one's brand new. It's, it had been a couple of weeks since my last one. I've just been so busy, but finally uh, took the time to sit down and put pen to paper. So that's out there. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, we had Lucas Doremus on talking about Jesus' enigmatic parables of the kingdom. Lucas is also the author of the book A Lamp and a Lampstand, I think it's called, uh, which is our text for our Wednesday night Bible study. And Gary leads that, so... Uh, Really great show that we did yesterday. Something I've not said a lot about because I'm not in control of it, but Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. How many of you know Dr. Tenpenny? So I've done several interviews with her, but we did a four-part series that she produced uh, where I taught about the Luciferian conspiracy and the spirit of the Antichrist every Thursday night in July. And those are free currently through the end of July. So three of them are posted. Uh, if you go to our website, click on this banner, it'll take you right to it. You can watch them. Really interesting dialogue. She had some great questions. Uh, the fourth one will drop next Thursday night. After July, it goes behind her paywall, and you have to subscribe, which I encourage you to do, by the way. She's got some great stuff and some great guests, so highly recommend uh, becoming one of her subscribers. Uh, but for this month, anyway, you can check those out for free. Uh, Friday, I had uh, Dr. Tommy Ice on to talk about debunking lies about the rapture. You can listen to that podcast. Uh, then I had Mondo on uh, Thursday. Uh, or no, uh, th Thursday, this was Mondo and uh, Prophecy Watchers in-studio interview that they posted uh, where we talked about the not-so-secret plan to destroy the world. Also Thursday, I did have Nate 
Nathan Jones on of uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries to talk about the mighty angels of Revelation. So I told you there was a lot, and uh, and there was. All right, so let's open it up to questions or comments about the rise in world organizations as a indication of um, the coming end times. Anybody have a question or a comment? Uh, in the back, Gary. With this global or universal ID coming out, if that happens prior to the rapture, it would not be the mark of the beast, correct? Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who don't have a well-defined uh, and well-studied overview of Bible prophecy uh, have a real fear of the mark of the beast, you know. Um, in fact, I'm going to be addressing that in a coming uh, one of these Q&A sessions. Someone emailed us a question about that today. But no, the mark of the beast is not going to be rolled out until after the rapture at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his promise to Israel, uh, sacrifices in the temple, sets himself up as God in the temple, takes the throne and demands that the world worship him. And in order to control that, they'll use uh, what the Bible calls in Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, the beast being the Antichrist. Uh, that is not what's happening now because the Antichrist isn't at the helm. However, the technology, the capabilities of, of what we see happen now could easily be what they use when they choose to roll out the market. So, uh, as I said, I think in a question yesterday on uh, the Doctrix and Answers Your Questions, Episode 3, it's not a moral issue to sign up for the global ID. It's not like you're sinning against a holy God if you decide to do it. I just think it's unwise, it's unsafe, and you should resist it at all costs. It should be a non-starter. Do not let yourself get talked into it, because once you've signed up for that, then you're trackable, and you have no chance of living off the grid. Uh, so I, I, I say resist it as long as you can. I understand that's going to mean making some sacrifices. If we get to the point before the rapture where they're requiring people to get their pensions or their Social Security or their health care or anything else through that mechanism or they're requiring you to use that to pay your taxes or buy groceries, I get it. That's going to mean you're going to you know, have to really uh, be creative and you know, kind of hide out perhaps. But I, I think we're a long way from that level of uh, tyrannical enforcement. I think they're going to get the low-hanging fruit like these 2 million people that signed up for WorldCoin already. I think they're going to go for that first. But yeah, it's not the mark of the beast, even though it may be the prelude to the mark of the beast. Somebody else up here. Um, do you think we should still keep cash? Because it seems like a lot of places don't accept cash anymore. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, that's a, I get that question a lot. And uh, obviously, I always like to preface it with I'm not a financial advisor. So uh, there are people a lot smarter than me that could give you good advice on managing your money. But I can tell you just from a preparedness perspective and a understanding Bible prophecy perspective that my best guess, as I said earlier, is that we're going to be dealing with some type of unfreezing cataclysmic event that sort of acts as the end of the world as we know it. Like life will not be the same anymore after that in a major way. And we've had several of those already, right? 9-11, major change. The pandemic, major change, right? But this one is going to make all those others seem like a blip. 
Um, and when that happens, I believe in the immediate aftermath of it, yeah, you're going to need some cash, some good old Federal Reserve notes, because uh, people in the immediate aftermath will still recognize that as currency. And uh, so you want small bills, because if you're going to use it for bartering, they're not going to make change. If you need a roll of toilet paper and all you have is a $100 bill, they'll be happy to sell you that roll of toilet paper for $100. So you want ones, fives, twenties. Um, but not too much because very quickly we will see that the currency is either outlawed or devalued or, not, or worthless. And you don't want to be stuck with an excess of it. Now, there is, you know, this is all speculation. This isn't like, thus saith the Lord, right? This is my studied opinion. There is a scenario under which the dollar could collapse and become devalued even before, you know, we have the chance to use it. So it's just, you know, you got to kind of do your best guess at how much of it you need. But one thing that I can say with, with relative certainty is that any tangible commodities that have inherent value, such as precious metals, food, ammunition, shelter, protection, supplies, those types of things, those will never devalue, and those will always be you know, handy in a, in a crisis. So gold and silver are universally recognizable. They're God's money. They're limited in supply, they have inherent value, uh, that's a good place to, uh, I think, to, to store up your means of exchange for the future. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Lead, copper, and brass. Those are those are the, his precious metals. I love it. Yeah, not a bad one. Not a bad choice for sure. Uh, so does that help? I mean, that's again, that's just my, my opinion. Somebody else. Okay, up here. So some nations, it sounds like, have already gone into their own form of world coin, like Poland, you mentioned KI. Yeah. But that was a couple of years ago. I don't know if they still have it. Um, other nations may have their own. Do you see them just rolling over and everybody joining up with the World coin and ID, or will there be conflict? No, I think there will be conflict, and uh, you know, I'm not even saying that world coin is going to end up being the winner. Uh, but the technology behind them all is all similar, and it's just a matter of some coding and algorithms behind the scenes to connect them, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, if you've been in the business world, you've probably been a, a part of project management projects where they roll out new integrations and I've been part of that in the academic arena where we'll you know install a whole new system for student management SMS systems or uh, so forth and it's a nightmare because they got to come in with all these on-site you know programmers and analysts and people and they meet with you for weeks and months and they're making changes to the code and they're basically modifying whatever system you were using to carry it over here. So if you were using system A, you got to have all the fields to transfer over into this new system. And it, it can be done. So what I'm saying is all these various uh, systems are like Christmas lights that at some point, even though they're independent strings, they're going to be plugged in together and they're all going to work seamlessly together. How that plays out, when that plays out, who's to say? Uh, but we know they've been working on a world government as we've looked a, bit, a little bit at tonight, for 100 years. And uh, so uh, 
in America, you know, the Fed now has been rolled out. That's kind of the back end that banks will use to help make transactions instantaneous. Um, they will eventually roll out some type of digital currency in America. Again, I think it will be optional at first, like this private one, WorldCoin. Um, but at some point, they're going to make it kind of, you know, impossible or try to make it impossible to, to turn down, just like they did with the vaccines, right? Want to be with your wife who's delivering a baby? You got to get the vaccines. You want to visit your elderly parents in the nursing home? You got to get the vaccine. If you want to travel internationally, you got to get the vaccine. If you want to work here, like the military, you got to get the vaccine. And so that will, you know, certainly uh, bring a lot of people to their I don't think they're going to have to force people, at least not for a while. Somebody else? Anybody? Just checking my text to make sure no one's texting me to alert me to an audio problem. We had an audio problem Sunday at our live stream. We didn't know it until it was all done. It's, it's still usable. You can hear but it's kind of subpar and frustrating. So just making sure that anybody else? All right. Well, we'll finish up then. And uh, listen, feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, but uh, if you don't have a church home, love to see you at Plum Creek on Sunday. Teaching through the book of Nehemiah will be in chapter 5. I'm calling it, you are, We Are Our Own Worst Enemy. So we talked about enemies from without. It's enemies from within, it turns out. Anyway, have a great rest of the week, and we will see you guys next time.